0: Welcome to the journal Did I Easy Explainer where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Laura Byrne and this week, Out of control, How did an attack in Dublin lead to riots and looting? Last Thursday, Dublin City was thrown into chaos after a tragic event. A group of small children were leaving their primary school on Parnell Street in Dublin's north inner city on their way to after school care, as they would do every school day. What happened in the intervening minutes brought fear and trauma to the area. Three children and their carer were the subject of a knife attack, with one five year old girl still in critical condition. Passers-by intervened and subdued the attacker. One man, aged in his fifties, was hospitalised, and Gardaí say he remains a person of interest in the investigation. A violent assault such as this is thankfully something that Dublin is not accustomed to. And of course, the people in the city reacted with shock and horror. But what the people of Dublin City were not expecting was the eruption of violence on the streets in the hours after this tragedy. What should have been a moment of grief for Dublin turned into hours of violent disorder, looting, burning of public vehicles, attacks on Gardaí and the loss of law and order over several hours in the core inner city. Order was eventually restored after Gardaí sent in riot police and made dozens of arrests. Since then, we've had concerns over policing, threats to immigrant communities, questions over the rise of the far right, and much analysis of deprivation and the role of government in all of this. On this week's episode of The Explainer, we're going to unpack what happened on Thursday and the fallout from the violence, both the attack on the children and the unrest scene in the city centre. Our team of reporters covered the story in detail and we're going to hear from a number of them, from those first on the scene of the attack and in the middle of the rioting to those looking at how the unrest was organised. Now, I'm joined in studio by news correspondent Niall O'Connor and political reporter Jane Matthews. But first, let's dissect how Thursday unfolded. I spoke earlier to Orla Ryan, also a news correspondent with The Journal here, and she told me how the news of the attack first broke.
1: Shortly after half one on Thursday afternoon, there were reports of a serious assault near a school in Dublin City at Parnell Square East. So news was extremely patchy at first. One of the first indications that something was happening came from the inquest being held into the Stardust nightclub fire, which are happening close to where the incident took place. The coroner told the court that there had been a tragic event outside and that the sitting would be suspended. Parnell Square East is a very busy part of town, right in the city centre at the top of O'Connell Street. The exact details weren't clear at first, as is often the case with the breaking news story, but it soon emerged that multiple people had been stabbed. Gardy confirmed that three young children and two adults, including the alleged attacker, were injured in the incident. Emergency services were very quickly on the scene and the road was closed.
0: And Orla, there was clearly a bit of an information vacuum after the attack. How was that then filled?
1: Very much so. As I've said, this was a breaking news story. So even though we had some information, the exact details weren't clear Reporters from the journal and other outlets attended the scene and interviewed witnesses to find out more information. While people were trying to find out exactly what happened, rumours started to spread online. You can understand that people were shocked and wanted to know what happened. They were sharing things they heard on social media, some of them true, some of them not. The Guardian pretty quickly confirmed that the incident was not terror related, but there was lots of speculation about what had happened. Much of the conversation online was about the attacker's nationality and motive, and a lot of this conversation was anti-immigrant in nature. It later emerged that the alleged attacker is an Irish citizen, originally from Algeria, and has been living in Ireland for 20 years. Within a few hours, we heard that the attack was apparently random, but Gardaí are still investigating the exact details.
0: Now, it emerged that at least one of the children was in hospital in a critical condition and there was a large number of Gardaí and other emergency services on Parnell Square. Now, our reporter, Mairead Maguire, was at the scene shortly after the attack took place. I asked her who she spoke to and what they were saying.
2: One of the first people I spoke to was a man who lives nearby, just off Parnell Square, who said he heard a lot of screaming. Um, Children and adults as well, just Everyone, he said he was screaming himself as well. There was a mixture of locals and tourists gathering, just watching many parents with their young children with them as well. Um, some guardi were interacting with older children who were looking on, just kind of confused at what the chaos was about. I saw a little girl ask a guard what happened, and the guard came right up to her at the cordon and in kind of a really soft, kind tone, just said, we don't know yet, um, which was a phrase I heard a lot to be honest, as people were asking questions. At first, most people in the crowd were standing in silence, unsure what to say or do, but just standing there staring at Gardi at the scene, clearly just shocked. It quickly became clear that there was a vacuum of information. As I was walking by people, I heard lots of different stories about what had happened, how many people were injured, how many children were injured, their ages. Even within that group at the scene at such an early stage, Rumours were spreading like wildfire. I overheard what I describe as racist comments by some unlockers. Um, Like while we didn't know yet who the attacker was, many people there had already decided his background
0: and his motives. So a very busy part of town rated the best of times and clearly something really traumatic has just happened. What was the mood like, would you say, at the scene by then?
2: So I was at the scene for a couple of hours and I would say in that time from when I arrived to when I left the mood completely changed. At first there was that silence like that kind of collective shock but then those murmurs of racist rhetoric got louder and individuals began approaching the cordon shouting in the faces of Gardaí. The scene began feeling more and more unsafe as others joined in you know angry individuals who appeared to not even know each other, began forming a sort of group and they were heckling Guardy and shouting anti-government sentiments. I think I saw a couple of things thrown. I left then just as it was getting dark and things were getting rowdier.
0: As we mentioned earlier, attacks like these are very rare in Dublin City. So it is understandable that people were feeling very shocked and upset. But what no one was expecting that day was the sheer speed at which the violent response would present itself. I've also spoken to our senior media producer and producer of this podcast, Nicky Ryan, who was also at the scene during the rioting. He told me about the first signs of significant unrest and how they began to emerge. So this goes
3: back to what Maraid was saying about the group that had gathered at the Garda cordon and who were heckling Gardy. More people arrived and joined that group and at about a quarter to five in the evening they started blocking traffic. A bus on Parnell Street and then a Lewis and then a bus on O'Connell Street. The shouting at Gardy stopped for a while and the group just hung around as the traffic built up in the area. At this point I went back to our office but then watched online as the violence quickly escalated and there wasn't really any sense at the time that that would happen. There was a lot of tension but there was no sense that this was about to spill over. The crowd had swelled in numbers, there were more violent exchanges with Gardi, and then the criminal damage started with Garda cars, buses and the Lewis being set on fire and some businesses were attacked at that stage and the heckling and the throwing missiles at the Guardi also intensified at that stage. The guard response itself as well escalated, and the riot squad were sent in to disperse the crowd. And I mean, while all this was going on, passersby and locals were, you know, taking shelter where they could or just getting out of the area, um, which was quite hard because the traffic disruption across the city due to this main roadway being blocked off was very, very widespread.
0: Now, what was it like then on O'Connell Street? What did you see there?
3: The unrest then moved down. So for people who don't know the area, Parnell Street East, where the attack took place and where the initial scenes of violence happened, that's at the very top of O'Connell Street. And then the crowd would have moved down past the spire as police moved them out of the area. Um, I arrived there at around half seven and to be honest, I wasn't really prepared for what I was about to see. I walked up Henry Street where things appeared quite normal, but then turned onto O'Connell Street, looked north and I could see the cars and the Lewis and the buses on fire. And then when you looked south towards the Connell Street Bridge, there was a bus on fire and that was kind of dominating the scene. Um, It was spilling black smoke. There was a significant crowd there. I moved down into the crowd. Um... There were fireworks being set off. There was no guardie around that I could see. They were possibly hanging well back from this, um, waiting for more guardie to arrive. But in that core of the crowd, there was no guardie. There were some louder bangs, presumably as fuel tanks and other equipment in the vehicles exploded. There was a couple of moments where the crowd would panic and run. Then not long after I arrived, the looting started and um, masked men I could see were breaking into Foot Locker, which is a shoe shop. Asics, another shoe shop on O'Connell Street. And then once they had broken in, the crowd would rush in and, you know, people were leaving with armfuls of whatever they could grab. At around that point, it was looking like the situation could be escalating. There was still no Guardian on the scene. I could kind of see my exit routes being cut off. So I moved back up. Onto Henry Street just as the Guardian ride gear moved down the street towards the crowd, and at that stage the looting was now spreading down towards Henry Street. It spread further onto Capel Street and then spread south side as the crowd was dispersed, and it wasn't until about half ten the evening that Guardi declared that calm had been restored.
0: So scenes of utter chaos, really. And, and when you know when you talk about a Lewis up in smoke on one end of our main thoroughfare and a bus on the other end, it's just hard to even imagine that this has happened. Can you tell us then, Nikki? you covered this for an extensive period of time. What can you tell us about the cleanup then?
3: So this is important to mention because um, the scenes were pretty unbelievable. Um, and the breakdown in law and order, even for the brief period that it was, it was very, very clear. Um, but the damage was also limited in some ways. Um, now, more than a dozen businesses were looted and badly damaged, several vehicles set alight, which we have to say, this is not normal. This is not a normal Thursday evening. But I was back on O'Connell Street around at around 6.30am and the cleanup was very, very quick. Work already underway to clear the wreckage of the vehicles. And then by 9 a.m., it was almost like a normal Friday morning on O'Connell Street. Now, obviously, there was some wreckage still in place. There was a everyone felt a bit shook, obviously, because of not only the rice, but also the horrific attack that happened um earlier in the afternoon on Thursday. But the area bounced back quite quickly. Now Obviously, the businesses impacted, they're still picking up the pieces um, at what is a very, very important time for Christmas trade. There is a worry that people might start avoiding the city centre. Um, There is a lot of social and political fallout. But the physical damage, you know, the city was largely able to return to normal in a short space of time.
0: Something clearly happened in the short space of time between the ceiling off of Parnell Street by Gardaí on the day and the first round of violence on the streets. As we've heard, there was naturally some confusion as to what had happened. Speculation about who'd been injured, whether there was a perpetrator still at large. But within that space, something grew and it would appear that much of this took hold online. Our assistant news editor, Stephen McDermott, has been looking at all of this for us. And I asked him just what he thinks about how the violent response was organised. We've seen
4: attacks like this before over the past sort of decade or so, and I think in a lot of people's heads, because that not, was not specifically a far right thing, there's a lot of speculation that this might be Islamic terrorism. You know, we've seen lo- lone wolf attacks on groups of people you know, across Europe before particularly involving um, the Islamic State terror group. Um, but there was a big, big fear that that's what this was. And obviously for people who might be of an anti-immigrant or who would be critics of multicultural societies and they absolutely seized on this um and so far right social media channels were absolutely hopping uh within like almost you know immediately after the attack um speculating that this would be the case and that you know it shows how ireland is failing and with you know dealing with an influx of people from different countries and you know all of that kind of stuff um there was a call for people to come into town at seven o'clock so the attack happened about half one. So it was called for people to come into town like several hours later at seven o'clock but it really started building quite quickly you know um there was videos doing the rounds of people on the scene who were like criticizing the media or mentioning aspects of again this kind of critique of multicultural society um that sort of thing from quite early on and at one stage you know after this kind of call went out for people to come in at seven o'clock there's speculation that the person involved might be an illegal immigrant, that they were Romanian. Neither of those things turned out to be true. Um, it was revealed at one stage that uh, he was an Algerian man. He was actually Algerian born, but you know, truth turned out he's a naturalised Irish citizen and has been living here for the past 20 years. It's not like he's a new person to the country like people were suggesting. One really, really kind of grim and terrifying message that was doing the rounds was um a voice message on the messaging app telegram um which called for you know we need to take our country back you know if you see if you get into town and if you see you know an immigrant just killed them which was like absolutely horrific so you could see how there was anger how um it was capitalizing on um a lot of what we've seen over the past year in relation to anti-immigrant sentiment and building this huge tension throughout thursday afternoon and into the early evening
0: and uh... Car, the Commissioner, let's say, and the Minister for Justice would have us believe that this came completely out of the blue, but that might not be the case.
4: Yeah, it was kind of a, a, a weird one where it was, uh, you know, yeah, initially said that, oh, this is almost like a, a a random thing. And like like the scenes were shocking and like quite unprecedented. Like we've seen a lot of far-right protests over the past year, but particularly around the, the, like the issue of immigration. But like, you know, we've never seen anything to this extent, but it has been building. Um, I think a lot of people will remember about this time last year, protests kicked off in, you know, the likes of uh, East Wall and other parts of the country outside places where um, asylum seekers are being housed. Um, Every single time, you know, so many different parts of the country, there was these centres for accommodation of refugees opening and almost the same personalities were appearing over and over again at each one live streaming outside them saying this is a disgrace and sort of whipping up locals who kind of In fairness to themselves, they they didn't know what was going on a lot of the time. They kind of weren't aware that this new accommodation centre was opening in their area either. So um, there was a series of protests between November and they've kind of been ongoing, but sort of got petered out in the early spring. We've seen it over and over and over again. And they have really helped the far right to gain a lot more of a foothold than they had.
0: Now, one of the strands that has caught people's attention after the attack on Thursday is the intervention by passersby to try to help the victims and stop what was happening. Many people were doing their best to disarm the attacker. Our reporter, Eimear McCauley, was the first journalist to speak to one of the crucial people involved.
5: Keio Benicio is a Brazilian delivery driver who's been living and working in Dublin. On Thursday afternoon, he was working a normal delivery job when he went through Parnell Square East and he saw a man with a knife attacking a young girl outside of a school. When I spoke to him later that night about the first thoughts that went through his head, he said he acted on pure instinct. He dismounted his bike and took off his helmet and used it as a weapon to hit the attacker over the head At which point the attacker fell to the ground and other people were able to step in and make sure that he wasn't able to continue the attack on anybody in the vicinity.
0: And Eimear, what has been the reaction to this story? The reaction
5: to the story has been huge. I think because it was such terrible news what happened with the attack outside the school and everyone was so devastated by it. This story was the first insight we got into how members of the public, and there were multiple members of the public, played a role in making sure that the outcome of that attack wasn't all re- like even worse than what we are dealing with. Since then, he's been honoured at the Brazilian embassy. A GoFundMe called, by Caio, uh, a pint has raised close to €400,000 at this point. He's actually posted an update today to say that he's been in touch with the family of the little girl who's still in a critical condition and offered to support them in the way that the public has supported him. His wife, Clara, back home in Brazil with their two kids, gave an interview to a Brazilian publication as well and said that they're all massively proud of him uh, and that they think with some of the money that was raised through the GoFundMe, he'll be able to go back and live in Brazil with his family. He came here because his, his restaurant burned down in Brazil. But when you speak to him, he's much more concerned about the condition of the little girl and the crash worker who's still in hospital at the moment. And since Caio's stories come out, we've heard about the roles other people played. And he's mentioned as well that the actions of Leanne Flynn, the crash worker, who was also attacked that day, were very heroic uh, and instrumental in limiting the amount of harm that was done to children.
0: So we've heard everything from our reporters about what happened on the day. And now I'm joined here in studio by Niall O'Connor and Jane Matthews. And we're going to chat about the fallout. Niall, firstly, I'm going to turn to you. Can you tell us about the condition of the people who were attacked?
6: Okay, so at the moment, there was obviously five people attacked uh, at at Parnell Square uh, during this uh, the initial stages of uh, of the incident uh, outside the school. Now a child remains in in hospital in a in a critical condition. I understand, uh, and then the care worker who was credited with getting in the way of the attack, uh, she also remains in a, a serious condition in hospital.
0: And what stage, Niall, is the investigation at?
6: OK, so the attack at the moment, I suppose, is it's progressing. Um, the Gardaí say that they're not looking for anybody else in connection with this. They have a suspect identified. Now, that will obviously become uh, to light in the end. But they are now at the moment conducting their inquiries. They have gathered CCTV in the area. And they've also carried out a forensic examination of the area. And before they move on that suspect, when that suspect is in a condition to be questioned, they will have all of most, if not all, of their work done. What will happen next essentially is, is that 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 suspect will be arrested uh, more than likely under Section 4 of the Criminal Law Act for the offence of assault that the suspect will be brought in and then detained under Section 4 of the Criminal Justice Act, and he can be held for a maximum of 24 hours. And the Gardaí will work through and put the evidence that they have to that person in, in that process. Uh, and that's essentially where, where it rests. It's been led by Gardaí from Store Street, but they're obviously been assisted, uh, ably assisted by a lot of Gardaí, uh, including those in Mount Jai and some of the national units. Um, so there's a massive effort behind this.
0: And then when it comes to the rioting itself, you'd imagine that's a hugely complex investigation for Gardi.
6: It couldn't be any more complex, I think. Um, Gardi have in the past obviously done very, very complex investigations, but the riot investigation is arguably uh, probably one of the biggest, one of the most uh, difficult investigations they're going to face because of the the efforts they have to do to prove the rioting aspect of it. It's not just simply criminal damage. It's not just simply burglary. It's not just simply assault. They have to make sure that they can prove that people acted in concert. So what they're doing now in that regard at the moment is they are carrying out a trawl, an absolute detailed trawl of CCTV, both uh, state CCTV in terms of the Garda CCTV systems, but also from members of the public from their homes, from shops, uh, and they're working through that. And the next bit of the process then, as they watch that and they gather that, there will be an awful lot of photographs of people who they believe are suspects, who they have uh, identified as people who participated in the rioting and the looting. Uh, and th- those people, their pictures will be issued first among Gardi, And uh, any of those that are known to Gardy will be identified or as Gardy call it, nominated. And then an arrest operation will be put in place and those people will be brought in for uh, for questioning.
0: And Jane, then what has the political fallout been?
7: Yeah, so I don't think we've seen the full extent of that yet, to be honest, Laura. I think the situation is still very fluid. We're still seeing the government put their response into action. But um, for now, one of the big questions is where does the Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, go from here? And likewise, the Garda Commissioner. Um and it's really a question of will they both be able to hand onto their positions at this point, I think. Um what we saw on Thursday, it didn't happen in a vacuum. Both McAdee and Drew Harris have been um under pressure when it comes to matters relating to the Guardi for the last number of months and um relating to their ability to get a handle on the far right. So I don't think it's an overstatement to say that the last few days and the week ahead have been the most important of McEntee's political career so far. And I think her position as minister really does hang in the balance. But um, in terms of the fallout, if we go back to last week, and um, Thursday itself, um, the minister did come out and she made herself available to the media. She appeared on primetime that night and also on the Tonight Show. She also did a doorstep. Um, outside government buildings. But she did face some criticism for not being more visible down at the scene and down at, around Parnell Street, um, particularly because we had seen Mary Lou MacDonald, the Sinn, Fé- Sinn Féin leader, had been out there much earlier in the day. But McEntee herself, she very much stuck to her talking points. Um, she said those involved in the riots were thugs and that they'd feel the full force of the law for their actions. Then the following day, we had the tea shook out and he had quite a strong statement on it. He also said that he... Um, fully supported uh, Helen McEntee and the Garda commissioner. And he also promised that legislation to strengthen policing would be passed in the coming weeks. So that relates to the facial recognition technology that will help Gardaí to identify perpetrators of crimes and then also tighter legislation around hate speech. Um, So, you know, as we know, both of those pieces of legislation have faced a lot of criticism from different groups and members of the opposition so it'll be interesting to see how that goes but then just related to how the opposition have responded to this by friday midday we started to see them come out and they were quite strong first out was um social democrats and gary gannon he said that he didn't think that um uh McIntyre or the commissioner that their positions were tenable. He said they both should resign. And then after that, we saw Mary Lou McDonald and Sinn Fein come out and say basically the same thing. Now, there was talk that they might table a motion of no confidence this week. But from our understanding, they had missed the deadline to use their doll time to do that this week. And since then, Mary Lou MacDonald has said that they will follow the situation and potentially um, use their time next week to table a motion of no confidence. So I think all eyes are really on McEntee uh, this week to see how she and the government continue to respond to what happened on Thursday.
0: Now, whatever about the pressure on the minister and the commissioner, you mentioned the response. What type of response has been put in place here?
7: Yeah, so it initially um, we had the minister come out on Saturday, and she announced that there would be additional overtime in the capital for guardie. And she spoke of how she is determined to maintain momentum around guardie recruitment because, as we know, there's been an awful lot of issues there, and this sense that people just don't want to join the guardie anymore. And there's been an awful lot of people retiring from the force. So she said that this uh, maintain this uh, continues to be a priority for her. Um, she also announced four point four million in additional uh, funding to um, help with the purchase of extra guard cars and vans by the end of this year. And then, like I mentioned, we also see the legislative response. So that's around the facial recognition technology and the tighter legislation around hate speech laws. So um, there's also, we're recording this podcast on Tuesday afternoon. Later today, Um, There is dedicated doll time that's been set aside. Three and a half hours roughly have been cleared of the schedule to hear statements on what happened on Thursday. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that as well. That will kind of really determine, I think, where we go from here. And we had Cabinet this morning as well on Tuesday morning. um, And we understand that Helen McEntee brought plans to the Cabinet and that she plans to announce a review into the use of force by Gardy. Um, in situations like we saw on Thursday and the aim of that is to really help them feel better equipped to respond to to riots and events of that nature. And she's also asked the Gardaí um, to consider how to fast track the purchase of Gardaí body camps and we understand that legislation that we passed um, in the Oireachtas this week and that's due to, due to be rolled out in the middle of next year.
0: And Niall, you report extensively on security and policing. Can you describe to us the criticism of the policing operation that was put in place?
6: I think in essence, the criticism circles around the Garda ability to increase capacity to respond to what was going on in the streets. And they had the scene under control. But then as the looting and the rioting occurred, did appear, and this is what the criticism is, is that they didn't have enough Guardi to respond and that when they realised they needed to increase numbers to come in and deal with, argu- you know, a huge amount of public order disturbance, uh, it took a number of hours to do that increasing of the capacity. Now, what the guards are saying is that they had the capacity and they, they initiated but we've reported that they had to frantically, um, and a number of sources have confirmed this to us, they had to ring and text Gardaí who were off duty in counties around Leinster particularly. But they went as far as Waterford, to my knowledge, and other locations, but particularly Waterford, and brought Gardaí who were off duty to Dublin to help them police this situation. So there wasn't enough Gardaí in Dublin city centre. Internally inside in the Gardaí then there is an awful lot of disquiet around their lack of equipment, their lack of capability—simple things like hard helmets to prevent injuries to the to the head uh, of Gary who were who were lining the various streets that uh, that the other correspondents have spoken about. So the the situation. No, that's the simplest way of putting it. It's much more diverse than that. Much more complicated than that. It will obviously be very important that this will have to be examined and examined very, very carefully about where this actually went wrong. And there needs to be an examination of the command structures and the commanders who made the call on the night in question. I'm sure there was it was very, very difficult in command and control on the night in question, um, but that will definitely need to be examined. Uh, and that's what everybody essentially is calling for.
0: And you, you highlight the, the disquiet and the frustration really of uh, Gardy there. But what's being said about Drew Harris's position then, Niall, and Gard the circles?
6: Well, as we know, uh, Drew Harris recently suffered a, a fairly landslide uh, no confidence vote from uh, members of the Garda Representative Association. I suppose I think relations aren't great there. Look, being straight and honest, I don't. I think there's a very very difficult relationship there. That's not understating it uh, and it's not overstating it. It's difficult. Gardie are not happy with the way things are in the guards at the moment. But look at as one senior guard has said to me uh, the day after, the morning after the riot, he said that the fact that Gardy were willing to jump in cars and drive great distances to get into into Dublin City to assist other Gardi is a sign that there is at least not particularly a problem with, with morale. I might add though that That's just Gardy, that's the way they operate. And uh, they were willing to come into Dublin City, went off duty into an absolute maelstrom, but they were still willing to do that. May not speak to uh, their affection or not for Drew Harris.
0: And Jane, then if we look at Helen McEntee, now you mentioned earlier that all eyes are on her, but do you think she'll step down? I think it's hard to say.
7: Um, Personally, I would be surprised if she can weather this storm. Like I said, the next few days will be really, really crucial for her. It depends how... She performs in the coming days, and if the the government continue to to support her, right now she has the support of her party colleagues, but the opposition are really really gunning for her and the commissioner to to go. So I think it depends. We've you know we've already started to see some disquiet from Fianna Fáil politicians and Green Party politicians that are in coalition. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what influence they have and if that will kind of turn things. Um, we saw Green Party TD Nessa and come out yesterday now she currently doesn't have the party whip so she's sort of free to speak a little bit more freely I guess but she said that she doesn't see how she could vote confident in the minister if that vote does go ahead and we've also seen um Fianna Fáil these like Jim O'Callaghan and Malcolm Byrne come out and not exactly criticize the minister exactly but just be critical of her her response to what we saw on Thursday so yeah like I said the next few days I think are really
0: crucial and finally, Jane, to you on the political side, what is the lasting fallout going to be really here?
7: I think I think it's kind of too early to say. I think we're still in the early stages of it. Um, and it should become clearer in the next few weeks, I think, as politicians and the Guardi kind of continue to digest what happened and and respond. Um, but I do feel like this has definitely been a turning point and that it will define politics and policing and how Ireland responds to the far right for the for the years to come in ways that I don't think we fully understand yet um, but I think a lot of people will hope that it will mean that we'll see a more intelligence-led form of policing um, and that the government will start to take the threat of the far right in Ireland more seriously. I think the language is there and the, the talking points are there but the, the action seems to be missing And I think, you know, they've been on the back foot for the last number of years. This isn't something new. We've seen, you know, demonstrations already and it's continued to bubble and the government have been on the back foot. So I think they really need to get ahead of it now. You know, I think the instigators of the riot on Friday, they're emboldened by it and I don't think they're going to go away. So I would worry that we will see more of these sort of events in the future unless the government and the guards can, can really get on top of it now.
0: Thank you so much to Jane and Niall for joining us today and to all our reporters for their insights. This is a team who've been working very long hours to cover this story. So we really appreciate your time. And obviously our thoughts today are most especially with the young children involved and their families and all those affected by what has happened in the last week. You've been listening to The Explainer podcast by thejournal.ie. This episode was brought to you by senior producer Nikki Ryan and executive producer Sinead O'Carroll. If you'd like to support all the work we do here, head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to make a one-off donation or become a monthly subscriber. And of course, you can always leave a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.